0: Before you're seated, I've asked Sister Kim to teach us tonight, because sometimes as a pastor, you get some questions, and uh, sometimes you get a few questions at the same time. And uh, I had a number of questions from people in the church, people outside of the church, asking about the Sabbath. And I thought, well, we're going to teach on the Sabbath, because if you think about the Ten Commandments, there's Ten Commandments and there's nine, which we've got no problem with. But what about the fourth one? What about the Sabbath? And, and it's been deba- debated, it's been controversial. Exodus 20 verse eight says, remember the Sabbath. So maybe you've got that question tonight and maybe you've asked that question or maybe someone has asked you that question. What about the Sabbath? We're gonna study that tonight. Does it apply to us in the new covenant? And so sister Kim, come and teach us tonight and we'll be ready to learn something, amen.
1: Praise the Lord, everyone. You may be seated. Um, we're going to be reading quite a, through quite a few Bible verses tonight. Um, I won't have these on the screen. So if you don't have your Bible here with you, I know there are some spare ones. And I'm sure Brother Ra would be able to help you grab some Bibles if you want one. So please go and see him if you need that. But yeah, as Pastor said, we are going to speak about the Sabbath. And um, I. I looked up, I like to see how many times a word is used in the Bible. Just, I'm curious about frequency. And so the Sabbath is actually mentioned roughly 150 times in the Bible. So it shows it's, it's fairly important. That's actually more times than baptism is mentioned, which I found really interesting. Um, and so what is the Sabbath? Well, according to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, they give this definition. It is a day of complete rest from secular work following six days of labor. Okay, now, it's interesting to me, the origin of this Hebrew word sabbat, I have no idea how to pronounce that, but sabbat, um, it's probably derived from a verb meaning to stop, to cease, or to keep. And I guess in my head, I always kind of thought, oh, sabbath, that must just mean seven, right? You know, like every seventh day, but it doesn't. It comes from a word meaning to stop, to cease, or to keep. Now, in the Old Testament, the observance of the sabbath was central To Jewish life this was really really important and it was a holy day that they were to keep every seventh day Um, and where does this come from where does this ritual have its roots well it was back in the Genesis narrative that described God's rest following the six days of creation God himself rested the seventh day and this made it sacred so we're going to read that account together Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3 And this one is on the screen, but the rest won't be, so. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says this. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So I thought what we would do tonight is kind of just go through the Bible and see how, we'll start with the Old Testament, a good place to start, and see what the Sabbath was, how it was observed in the Old Testament. And as uh, Pastor mentioned, the first time that that Sabbath observance is commanded in the Bible can be found in the book of Exodus when Moses was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And the fourth, of, the fourth one of those commandments was remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And while Moses was up there, he was given what we refer to as the law of Moses or the Mosaic law. And there was a whole bunch of other commandments that was also given at the same time. Now, the book of Nehemiah tells us that this, this time when he was given those commandments is when God made known to them his holy Sabbath. So we have a witness from Nehemiah saying this is the first time here. These Sabbaths were only given to Israel, and they were to serve as a sign between them and Yahweh, them and God. And so Exodus 32, sorry, Exodus chapter 31 and verses 12 to 17 gives us more details about this. So if you want to turn to there in your Bibles, we'll read it together. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it That person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So it's a a long passage there, but um, speaking about it was that sign between them. So the Sabbath, what was it? It was to be a day of worship, of sacred assembly, and a place where they would go to the temple or the tabernacle and make special sacrifices. But it was also primarily just a day of rest at home as well. So we just read here, for pious Jews, keeping the Sabbath holy was actually a duty before God. They were commanded to do this. We're not going to read this passage, but Exodus 16, 4-5 tells us the Sabbath was a visible sign to test Israel's obedience to the Mosaic Covenant. God was saying, are you going to keep my law? This is a test. Are you going to keep my law and my Sabbaths? And... Um, I, I found it really interesting someone put it this way they said to observe the Sabbath was to be loyal to God to break the Sabbath commands was essentially to commit treason against God it was to completely go against everything that he had commanded and it was uh, to break his covenant and so since this was a sign that Israel was in covenant with God any attempt to profane it or ignore it would of course result in very severe punishment and in fact, the punishment for breaking this law was the most severe one that you could get in ancient times, and it was stoning. They were to be stoned to death if they did not keep this law. So could you imagine today, it was like, well, if you don't come to church on Sunday, we're gonna stone you, so <laughs> thank God we're not under that law, right? <laughs> and so, um, so the book of Numbers actually records one such incident where this happened where a man who deliberately disobeyed God by going out and gathering sticks on the Sabbath was stoned to death. So this actually did happen on at least one occasion. Now, why did they have these, these laws? Well, there was no other nation that observed the Sabbath and they had other laws as well concerning their diet, concerning farming practices, even concerning the types of clothes that they would wear. And the reason for this was to distinguish the Israelites from everybody else and to physically identify them as God's chosen, set-apart people. And so by keeping that seventh day holy, Israel was reminded continually that the God who sanctified that seventh day also sanctified them. It was a sign. And so the Bible tells us in other places the Sabbath had to be kept, no matter if it was plowing season, no matter if it was harvest season, (laughs) too bad, all work had to stop on that day. Um, The Jews were not to light fires, they were not to travel long distances, they couldn't cook, carry burdens, wash clothes, make repairs, work the land, couldn't buy or sell, and even the building of the temple, which you would think would have to be like the most sacred and holy thing, right? Even the building of the temple had to stop. For the Sabbath. Um, They had to put it off. And, And so the Israelites had to do extra work on the sixth day to make sure that on the seventh day they weren't doing any of these things. Interestingly, even the land was commanded to observe a Sabbath. So for six years the Israelites were to sow seed and to gather produce, but on the seventh year they were to let their fields and vineyards and olive groves lie fallow. This would allow the land to rest and it would also provide food for the poor and the beasts of the field. So this is how important the Sabbath was, (laughs) not just for the Israelites, but even for the land that they were on. And so, um, to put it in modern parlance, uh, the Sabbath was not intended to be a day of just lazing around and playing Xbox or watching Netflix, right? It was intended to be more than that. It was supposed to be a time of delight, a time of joy a time of worship and prayer, study of the word, giving sacrificial offerings, social interaction and rest and relaxation. It was an entire day dedicated to these things. And so the Bible tells us there's two main reasons why they celebrated the Sabbath. And the first one will be up there. Um, So it was a reminder that God was the one who created and who sustains the world. And so to remember the Sabbath was to acknowledge that that weekly rhythm of life belonged to the Creator. He's the one who set this up. Um, Think about it. If God, who needs no rest, stopped his creative ability on the seventh day, shouldn't we, who are made in his image, do the same? And so for them, they observed the Sabbath. It was important because it acknowledged the Lordship of Yahweh. And it promoted the trust that God would provide for his people. Even though they were not doing anything that day, they still had enough God had provided. Um, And so I looked up a few um, dictionaries and different sources. So Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology says this, Sabbath contravenes any pride that may accompany human mastery and manipulation of God's creation in ceasing from labour one is reminded of one's true status as a dependent being of the god who cares for and sustains all of his creatures and of the world as a reality belonging ultimately to god that's what the sabbath was it was this reminder god is in control we're not god is in control and then i read this uh site from the jewish virtual library and they say this about the sabbath Um, and of course these are Jews who still observe the Sabbath today, it says, We also emulate the divine example by refraining from work on the seventh day, as God did. If God's work can be set aside for a day of rest, how can we believe that our own work is too important to set aside temporarily? It's a good reminder for us, isn't it? (laughs) Um, But in a more general sense, Shabbat, as they call it, frees us from our weekday concerns, from our deadlines and schedules and commitments. During the week, we are slaves to our job, to our creditors, to our need to provide for ourselves. On Shabbat, we are freed from these concerns, much as our ancestors were freed from slavery in Egypt. And this brings us to the second reason for Sabbath observance. So it was a reminder that God had delivered Israel from slavery And had entered into a covenant relationship with them. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses commanded the people to observe the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. As we mentioned before, the people were to work for six days, but the seventh day no one was to do any work. Not the family, not their servants, not the oxen or donkeys or cattle like none of their animals. Um, And not even the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, but who were living there in Israel. Even they were not allowed to do any work on this day. Everybody was commanded to rest. And so Moses concludes this by saying, in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5, he says, And remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm, Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So this Sabbath, it served to affirm Israel's identity as that people who were separate, who were set apart for God. God wasn't just their creator, he was also their savior. So you think about in Egypt, they didn't have a day off. They were slaves, they worked seven days a week, no time to rest. But now, every seventh day, They were to get that time of rest. And so every Sabbath would remind Israel that God was the liberator who had created rest for his people. And you continue on through uh, the Old Testament and after the Babylonian exile, the Sabbath became even more important to the nation of Israel. And the prophets were consistently calling those people back to honour the Sabbath. And one of the main reasons for that was because The Sabbath, observing that would preserve that Jewish identity in that very, very pagan environment. It would remind them, yeah, we're here in this land that no one believes the way we do, but we are God's people and we will observe Sabbath because this shows that. So it wasn't just a social institution of festivity, rest and worship, but it was also a religious mark of personal and national holiness. So, this is Sabbath in the Old Testament, but what about Sabbath in the New Testament? So, let's move on. So, in the New Testament, well, Sabbath observance was still an important part of Jewish society. Jesus was a Jew. And so, he was a Jew living under the Old Covenant, and so, he would observe the Sabbath. Um, Jesus was also circumcised. On the eighth day, he observed the Jewish feast days because he was a Jew. And Luke 4 and 16 shows us it was actually Jesus' normal custom to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. So he was doing all these things that a good Jew would do. He was observing the Sabbath, um, observing the, the law. However, the Gospels also record six instances where Jesus' specific actions on the Sabbath actually resulted in controversy. And five of these were related to Jesus performing miraculous healings on the Sabbath day. So we're going to look at just one of these examples, Um, a lengthy passage here in Matthew 12. So if you've got your Bible, please turn there. Matthew chapter 12, starting from verse 1. It says this, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And what this means is, The priests were allowed to offer sacrifices on the Sabbath day. Well, technically that would have been work, you would think, right? (laughs) They were doing things, but it was okay. God had said that particular thing was okay to do on the Sabbath. So he says in verse six, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here we go. We've got this first incident here. They're on the Sabbath day. The disciples are picking grain. The Pharisees are mad. And Jesus says, hey, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Then he goes away. It's like he's deliberately baiting them now. But now he goes away in verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. Behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because they wanted to accuse him. So they were trying to test him, trap him. Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Now remember, they weren't allowed to carry burdens on the Sabbath. But if their animal fell in a pit, you can be sure they would have done everything they could to save that animal. Verse 12, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So we see just from this one passage, Jesus broke the Sabbath. He allowed his 12 disciples to break the Sabbath. And then, we're not going to read this, but in, an actual, in another, um, another passage in John 5, Jesus actually commanded another man to break the Sabbath. You're like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, he had, there was an, a, an impotent man. He couldn't walk. And Jesus healed him and told him, take up your bed and walk. And of course, the Pharisees were really mad about this as well. Um, because bearing any kind of burden or load on the Sabbath was forbidden. Well, why? Why did Jesus do this? If he was a good, law-abiding Jew, why did this happen? Well, he wanted to show that his authority as a son of God exceeded the authority of the Sabbath law. It meant he was able to decide the true meaning of the Sabbath because he was Lord of the Sabbath. Because Jesus was God, he was not subject to those Sabbath laws, but the Sabbath laws were subject to him. In Mark 2 and 27, Jesus declared, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so these Sabbath regulations, as interpreted by the Pharisees, they actually went against the intent of the Sabbath as prescribed in the Old Testament. And so these were man-made rules that were stopping people being set free on the Sabbath, which was completely the opposite to what God had intended. <laughs> um, and so, therefore, he was able to break them because in uh, the Sabbath proclaimed at creation was intended for man's blessing, for his rest, for his restoration, and uh, it was instituted for people's physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. And so in breaking the Sabbath in these instances, by performing those healings and providing deliverance for people, Jesus was actually fulfilling the law as it was originally intended and purposed to be. And so he was using these real-life examples to correct the Jews' faulty perception of the Sabbath's importance and purpose. And one scholar I read, I really like the way he put this, so I'm going to read it out here. He said, the Jews had wrongly assumed that man's purpose was to observe the Sabbath rather than it being the Sabbath's purpose to care for man. Ultimately, this view brought man into slavery to the Sabbath. Whereas the Sabbath was intended to give the Israelites rest each week and remind them of their deliverance from bondage, the the view that the Jews came to have of Sabbath observance actually brought them back. Into captivity this time not to Egypt but to the Sabbath itself because man's purpose was seen as observance of the Sabbath um, the Jews neglected human needs on the Sabbath they condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath but that healing would actually give rest to the children of God as God had intended to happen on the Sabbath so the Sabbath was made for man's good It was to serve man's needs not for man to serve the sabbath's demands to the ultimate detriment of humanity i thought they he put that so well so we've seen sabbath in the old testament sabbath in the new testament what about sabbath under the new covenant so we know that the new covenant was instituted after jesus death his burial and his resurrection and so the church today is not under God's covenant with Israel as symbolized by the Ten Commandments, but it is under the New Covenant. Let's read this together. Galatians 3, uh, verses 23 to 26. I'm actually going to read this out of the Living Bible because I really like the way it put it. And it says this. Until Christ came, we were guarded by the law, kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could believe in the coming Saviour, Let me put it another way. The Jewish laws were our teacher and guide until Christ came to give us right standing with God through our faith. But now that Christ has come, we don't need all those laws any longer to guard us and lead us to him, for now we are all the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, remember we were talking about the Mosaic Covenant being a covenant given exclusively to the children of Israel who had been delivered from Egypt. So this was never intended to be a perpetual or an eternal covenant, because the Old Testament itself predicted that it would be replaced by a superior, by a better covenant. No one, not one person was able to obtain righteousness by obeying that Mosaic law. It was weak, it couldn't ever result in the salvation of humanity. So when Jesus died and was resurrected, the old law was abolished, and the new superior covenant came into effect. Now, when Jesus abolished the law, he abolished every part of it. And so scholars often divide the law into sort of three distinct categories. They talk about moral law and civil law and ceremonial law. And so moral law, we would say, is based on God's holy nature Um, And it sort of talked about regulations relating to justice, respect, sexual conduct, basically addressed behavior between humans um, and relationships between humans and also between humans and God. And so some people often see the Ten Commandments as as referring to the moral law. And then there's a civil or judicial law, as it's sometimes called, which relates to um, how the Israelite nation was governed. And then finally, there's a ceremonial law, which related to ceremonies, celebrations, sacrifices, sacred rituals, all these sort of things that were to be observed under the Old Testament. And this was particularly in relation to the temple, how they should approach God in worship. Um, And these all sort of pointed ahead to the Messiah and to the future redemption that would come through Jesus Christ. And so dividing the Jewish law into these different categories, moral, ceremonial, and civil, while it can help us to better understand God's nature and what he required of the nation of Israel, it's important to remember this is actually like a man-made distinction. There's nothing in the Bible that says this is a ceremonial law, this is a moral law, this is a um, civil law. Um, And so God didn't see them as separate from each other. But together, all of those various commands formed the law. Um, And so keeping the law meant keeping every part of it, all 613 commandments. Uh, Thank God we don't have to go through and (laughs) make sure we're ticking off all those 613. Now, James 2 and 10 tells us, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, uh, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So you may have kept everything else, but you miss one. That meant you've broken the law. You've broken all 13. Uh, so 613. Um, and in the, to break a ceremonial law, it was the same as breaking a moral law. So perfect obedience was demanded to all the commands of the covenant because it was a unified whole. So when Jesus established the new covenant, he abolished the entire Mosaic covenant, including the civil, ceremonial, and moral laws. So this means we don't have to keep any part of that Mosaic law, thank God. It also means we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. However, this does not mean that God does not have any laws concerning morality today. Don't worry, Pastor, (laughs) I'm not preaching free liberty. (laughs) God's moral nature demands that humanity follow a moral code. So God didn't abolish his own moral laws when he eradicated the law, but he did eradicate the legality of the covenant in its entirety. He couldn't abolish just some parts of the law and not others because it stood as a single unit. But after he abolished that entire covenant, in the New Testament, he reiterated his eternal moral commandments to the church by those New Testament scriptures. And as Pastor mentioned earlier, nine of those did appear in the Ten Commandments. And so um, I read this example and it really resonated with me and actually helped me to understand it well. So the easiest way to think of the abolition of the law is to liken it to a real estate contract. Okay, so you've got a real estate agent selling two different houses to two different parties. Now, he does up both the contracts. When he does those contracts up, he's gonna use similar clauses and language in them, right? We know when you have a contract, usually These clauses are in there, these ones are not in there, whatever. Um, But each contract is going to be specific to the buyer. So yes, they have elements that are the same, but they're also gonna have elements that differ. So maybe it's got a longer settlement date or maybe the payment terms are gonna be different. So one person is not subject to the other person's contract and vice versa. So the Mosaic Covenant is not the church's covenant. And although it does contain similarities, it also contains many differences. And we're not required to obey a commandment from the law simply because there's a similar command in our covenant. (laughs) No, we're governed by the contract that we have with God, not by their contract. We're only subject to the terms of our own covenant, the new covenant. So God used these Old Testament laws, including the blood sacrifices, dietary laws, circumcision, Sabbaths, and feasts. They were all types and shadows of the Messiah and his coming kingdom. But now that the reality or the substance has come, we no longer need to observe those types and shadows. Thank God for that. Could you imagine bringing in like a sheep every week to to the church to be slaughtered? (laughs) Sister Margaret would not appreciate cleaning the church every week. (laughs) Thank God we don't have to do that. But Romans 8 and 2 tells us that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Now that the Jews and Gentiles have been brought together into one body, and the dominion of sin has been broken through baptism into Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we only need to follow those commandments laid down in the New Covenant. And we know that Sabbath-keeping is not a requirement of the New Covenant. You're like, how do do we know that? Okay, well, let's read uh, Romans chapter 14 and verses 5 and 6. So here it says the Apostle Paul writes, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. And some other versions of this says, one man considers one day more sacred or more holy or more important than another. Now, we know that the Jews considered the Sabbath day to be holy and sacred, but under this new covenant, there is no requirement for us to put one day aside as more special or more holy than another. Now, if you want to do that, the Bible doesn't say you can't. It gives you permission right here. Sure, if you want to observe a particular day, no worries. But this is not necessary, and Paul was teaching that you should not force your personal conviction on anyone else it's you can do it but it's wrong to make it a moral duty for yourself or for others now in Colossians 2 14 and 17 Paul spoke about the fact that Jesus through his death on the cross he wrote, has wiped out the handwriting of requirements or ordinances that was against us the contemporary English version puts it this way God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and nailed them to the cross. And so because of Jesus' triumphant victory over sin and over death, we are no longer under the condemnation of the law. Praise God. Paul ends this passage by saying, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon Or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ so because Christ abolished the law we're no longer required to keep those festivals or Sabbaths that were commanded by the law because those requirements were just mere shadows of the spiritual truths that have now clearly been revealed to us in the new covenant we have the substance of the truth so the shadow is no longer needed And further to these two passages we just read, there is no specific commandment in the New Testament requiring the church to observe the Sabbath. Now you think about it, that New Testament church, it was primarily Gentile, right? It started with the Jews, but then it rapidly spread out among the Gentiles. Well, the Gentiles would never have kept the Sabbath because that wasn't a law for them. They would have had no idea. And so... If you were were not a Jew, you wouldn't have known about it. So if it was important to keep, don't you think that Paul would have gone and said something? Hey, you Gentiles, this is really important. Let me tell you about this. But no, Paul and the other disciples, they did not explicitly state that this was necessary, but instead we see the opposite. The church was commanded not to judge anyone based on their lack of Sabbath observance. So it's just further proof that this is not a requirement for us as the church under the new covenant. Now we might digress just a little bit. Some say, well, the Sabbath is eternal. Like the Sabbath law, we're supposed to keep this, right? Because it comes from the creation. It comes before the law was given. Well, God rested on the seventh day. So this means we have to do it forever, right? because the Bible states that he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So, to answer that, while the Genesis account does indicate our need for a weekly day of rest, it does not command Sabbath observance as such. We know this for a fact because Jesus never sinned, and yet he failed to observe the Sabbath observance. Okay, <laughs> so if he, if he had broken it and it was not supposed to be broken, He would have sinned Jesus had no sin so it shows that it wasn't an ordinance from creation in addition with the many changes to the calendar over the centuries it's really impossible to say whether the seventh day of Genesis 2 is the modern Saturday could be any day we're not really quite sure so there's no need for us to meet on a Saturday that's not our law (laughs) that's not our covenant now, some other people quote Hebrews four as New Testament proof that we should observe the Sabbath. Um, I'm just going to read. There's a whole passage there that you could read, but verses nine and ten say, "There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from the works from his works as God did from him from his." If you have a look at the context of that passage, um, and the previous chapter particularly. It shows that the rest that they're speaking of here was not the rest of the Sabbath day but they were talking about entering into the promised land so the Israelites were barred from entering in to that rest uh, because of their lack of faith in God and they were condemned to wander in the wilderness for 40 years well during that 40 years did they keep the Sabbath Commandments yes they did So that can't be the rest that they're referring to. And so the author of Hebrews is using this story to explain the rest that's provided to us under the new covenant. So as the church, we also have a promise of entering into the rest that's provided by God. But we have to be careful not to fall short, like the Israelites did through their unbelief and through their disobedience to God's word. So our rest comes through believing in Jesus Christ and in his gospel message. Uh, Just a, a little bit before that, Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3 tells us, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And here's the the kicker here. For we who have believed do enter that rest. We believe. So God has already provided everything that we need to enter into that rest that he's prepared for us. Just as God had made every provision and preparation for Israel to conquer the land of Canaan, after that miraculous exodus from Egypt and thereby they entered into that rest provided for them by God, he's made every single provision for the church to enter into the rest that he has provided for it. But it's up to us to mix our faith with obedience. Um, We can say, yes, I believe, but unless we do something about it, we're not showing that we truly believe. So we enter into rest when we... Renounce the works of our own flesh. You're like God. <laughs> I can't do this. My my earthly works are, are worthless. I can't do it. I'm going to try. I'm going to stop trying to earn salvation by my own works because it's not possible. But instead, I'm going to accept Christ's work on my behalf through faith and obedience to that gospel message. And just a little side note here: um, Why do we meet on Sundays? There's a whole bunch of reasons. I can give you some afterwards if you're interested, but. Um, One of them is that the early church actually met on Sundays. And so, but it's interesting to note that the Bible does not say that the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday or that God intends for Sunday to be a new Christian Sabbath. (laughs) So um, yes, we meet on Sunday for a number of reasons. I mean, one of the main ones is because most people don't have to work on a Sunday. They're free to be able to come to church and and meet here. but we could meet on any day of the week. Obviously, we're here on a Wednesday. <laughs> so, anytime. So, the important thing is not that we attend church on a certain day, but that we are faithful to our local church meetings, wherever, whenever they are held. <laughs> you know, Hebrews 10 and 25 tells us that, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And so, okay, where to from here? Let's sort of, promised rest, let's talk about that. So we know that in Genesis 2, God did model for us the need to provide a time of rest for our bodies and for our spirits. That is a good thing for us to remember that God is in control. He's the one who provides for us. But Jesus gave us an invitation to spiritual rest in Matthew 18, 28 to 30, when he said this, and if you could get that next slide up, that would be lovely. He said, come to me, all you who labour, And a heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light And so the way that we partake of this spiritual rest that that God provides is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial sign of speaking in tongues Isaiah 28:11 to 12 alludes to this, stating, for with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. I just want to close here with a quote by um, David Bernard. I really like what he says here. He says, just as the Sabbath was a constant reminder of Israel's deliverance from bondage, and their covenant relationship with God, so the Holy Spirit is a constant reminder of our deliverance from sin and of our new covenant relationship with God. By living in the Spirit, <clears throat> sorry, I've lost my place. <clears throat> living in the Spirit, we enjoy the true Sabbath every day. And so the truth is, the Christian Sabbath, it's not found on a particular day of the week, because the sabbath has been fulfilled in christ when we receive jesus we receive that spiritual rest of salvation that the sabbath was just a type of we don't have to wait for a certain day but we can experience his peace and his refreshing presence whenever we call on his name isn't that beautiful there is a rest for our body and our soul when we surrender everything to him and not just that but we can look forward to that ultimate Sabbath rest that awaits us in heaven because Jesus is our eternal rest.
0: Amen. That was wonderful. And I think, you know, it's a very important for us um, to know the covenants and to understand the dispensations. And uh, that comes, for instance, an example of that would be um, understanding when the Old Covenant finished and when the New Covenant started or the Old Testament the New Testament and one question where you can answer that one question where you need to know that to give a right answer is what about the thief on the cross he was never baptized you know he said to Jesus and Jesus said well tomorrow you're gonna be with me in paradise and everyone will say see you don't need to be baptized to be saved look at the thief on the cross but unless you understand covenants, that, that, that thief on the cross was the last person known, saved under the old covenant. See, the new covenant didn't come into place until Jesus died, was buried and rose again. Are correct? That's the new covenant, the New Testament, New Testament salvation. He was saved under the old covenant. That's easy to answer that question when you understand the covenants. And uh, Sabbath is an important principle for all of us. And some of those Old Testament principles, they are still good principles to live by. We all as human beings need to rest. You can try to work seven days a week. There will come a time and maybe sometimes you'll have to do it. But there will come a time where you just need to stop and you need to have a rest. Some people have been working a long time. They need to take not just one day, they need to take a, a sabbatical. Take a whole lot of time off to recover because you'll be at your best. And so there are some biblical principles, although not hard and fast rules, but they are principles that are good for us. Another one that I've learned, and I'll share this one with you, is the food principles in the Bible about not eating uh, pork and fish without scales and all of those sort of things. Now, that is all under the old covenant. We are free to eat uh, what we want in the new, in the, under the New Covenant. However I learned very quickly that there are some foods which are probably a little bit more dangerous than other foods. <laughs> if you're gonna get sick it's normally gonna be pork or seafood, correct? And it goes off the quickest. Now I'm not saying don't eat it, we love it, but when I travel there's two things I don't eat if i haven't seen it prepared it's pork and seafood because there's a principle there that i think is a good principle more than that brothers and sisters we've got to learn that sometimes we need to rest and we of course we have a rest when we are filled with the holy spirit but we need a physical rest for our bodies and you know that's not an unspiritual thing it's a good thing to do to be able to rest and uh, i think we become we are better people when we rest And this world is just so consumed, work, 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 money, 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 you know. And then what we find is we find ourselves burnt out and the principle of Sabbath is so important. I think Sister Kim did a wonderful job and so I encourage you because there, there are people, there are whole religions based on this keeping the Sabbath there's a whole religion in fact they're so strong on it that they believe that anybody that meets on a Sunday has taken the mark of the beast that's quite confronting And so when they come and ask you a question about it you need to be able to give an answer and so if you take the time to go back over what sister Kim has taught tonight you will have an answer all right there she's very thoroughly covered it she might even give you a copy of her notes to read let's all stand I hope you've had a good time in the house of the Lord tonight we look forward to seeing you on Sunday as we come together on the first day of the week (laughs) Jesus rose on Sunday that's a good enough reason to come to rise up out of your bed and come to the house of the Lord amen I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord Lord we love you and we just thank you Lord for our Bible study tonight for the time sister Kim has taken to study and put this study together Lord God help us to learn it so we'll be able to give an answer to those that may have questions Lord Jesus we thank you for your rest that you have given us in the infilling of the Holy Spirit Lord we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that you have given us Lord God that works in us and works for us Lord we thank you for that now go with us as we go our different ways we pray you would keep us safe on the roads we thank you for the children's programs today tonight and for those that have given of their time and effort to serve there and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory and all the church says amen Amen. god bless you have a great rest of the week see you on sunday